At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. There's no doubt that small businesses are the foundation of our communities. That's why MasterCard has invested in tools to support small business owners as they grow their business. With MasterCard tools and resources, you can increase sales by shortening checkout time, broadening your customer base, and tapping into new opportunities to increase customer loyalty. So get started. Discover all the ways MasterCard can help guide, grow, and protect your business at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday at 10 a.m. ET to hear new stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Dr. Lori Samuel. Lori L.J. Samuel is a criminologist, author, entrepreneur, former professor, with expertise in police community relations, risk management, and interpersonal violence. Dr. Samuel is the founder and executive director of Cupid Sting, a nonprofit organization that looks to reduce interpersonal violence towards women in Canada, the U.S., and the Caribbean. Cupid Sting's mission is to teach women life-saving skills by spreading awareness and facilitating safety training through workshops. Prior to Cupid Sting, Lori worked with the Metropolitan Police in Washington, D.C. for more than 10 years as a leading expert in early identification and intervention. She also worked as an expert with the U.S. Justice Department. Lori, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Uh, that's quite an introduction. I appreciate it. It's a very impressive introduction. <laughs> very impressed. We have a, a, an interesting sort of uh, organization to discuss today. It's as, as a nonprofit. It's not a conventional startup, but I think entrepreneurship covers all types of organizations, including nonprofits. So tell us what you think will be the top piece of advice that you'd like our listeners and fellow entrepreneurs to take away from this conversation. Sure, sure. So other than learning about violence and violence against women, as an entrepreneur, I really want people to remember why they started their venture, whether it's a social enterprise, a for-profit business. Why did you start that? It was either based on some kind of passion you have in your field and in a particular area, or you saw some kind of gap because we all know it's tough. It's not easy. Working a nine to five is much easier. Um, you always get paid and always get paid on time. But when it's tough and you're questioning why you're doing this, 
remember that. Remember why you started and remember that the, the passion you have for your business. Is that related to the, I guess, the, the hills and valleys, particularly the valleys in entrepreneurship, that when time gets tough and when normal people would quit, if you remember your roots, if you remember the passions that drove you in the first place, then that's likely to keep you working and inspire you absolutely. to find the solution you need. Yeah, absolutely. You, it's, it's kind of, I always think of it as this way that what is it that you want to do that you love so much that maybe you would even do it for free? not saying to do it for free, but that's what will drive you. So whether that's, you know, to help somebody, to to create whatever that is, I definitely think that that does drive you when you're down in the valley. Right. Okay. So as we heard in the in in the introduction, you have one of the most interesting backgrounds of any entrepreneur that I've met in Canada. So tell me a little bit about your journey? How did you get into criminology? How, what was it like working with the police in such an area in Washington, D.C.? And what led you to launch Cupid Sting? So I've always had a passion for the criminal justice system. So even when I was in high school, I you know, really wanted to get involved to figure out ways to better the system. And um, way back then... <clears throat> Nothing has really changed in terms of relationships and interactions. My view was that there were poor relationships between the police and the community, but particularly the Black community, so that if I was able to get inside the system, <clears throat> that I could affect some change in the community and in the police departments. I really tailored my academic career so that I could do criminology, criminal justice, and learn more about policing and police organizations. So, you know, my undergrad is from U of T and then I moved to the States and spent a lot of time there. Um, I got, you know, a couple of masters, I got my PhD and um, started collecting some data in Washington DC specifically. <clears throat> and it's such an interesting place because it's one, the seat of the government. It's kind of like the seat of the government for the world, um, but they have, a lot of police departments, federal, municipal. Um, and it was just a really interesting place to study. So I entered a doctoral program at Howard University. And here's my plug. It's the same university that graduated Kamala Harris, the vice president of the United States. I started working at the police department <clears throat> and just working my, my way up and learning procedures, learning um, how to best interact with the community. I actually was working in homicide for another number of years and then moved over to a function um, that probably most people are familiar with where it's um, um, internal affairs, where you're actually investigating employees. Um, and, but I, I, I kind of had my, my hands in everything um, because I think the chief really liked my skill set. So I really got to see different areas of the department. One of the things that I would see all the time were the crime stats. So I would see the statistics, I would see the 24 hours worth of crime, and what I would see is violence, a lot of violence, and a lot of violence against women. And a lot of these women looked like me. 
And what I was seeing is that not necessarily were the numbers going up in terms of more incidents, but I was seeing an intensity in the brutality of these violence against women incidents. And I felt, you know what, I'm a woman, um, I'm a criminologist, I've got to do something um, to change this. So my idea was to get in front of the violence by doing safety training. So just one weekend, and again, it's kind of, it was like almost on a whim. I just put something out and said, I'm teaching a self-defense class at the gym. And women showed up and they showed up in droves and they wanted more. They wanted to know how they could protect their children. Can I come to their workplaces? And the Cupid Sting Interpersonal Violence Reduction Program was born. Wow, what a story. Now, I'm a child of the media, so I got to say that um, the first thing is that when is the TV series going to be made about the Toronto PhD working for the Washington PD? I mean, come on. With these training programs, with these workshops, were you trying that within the police? Is that a way to affect social change? Or did you find that, no, you got to be outside the system to change it? So my thought process was this, <clears throat> that when you call the police, it is too late. And again, this is my unique perspective and my unique lens from being inside, right? Um, <clears throat> because when you call the police, it's normally because something has escalated, probably homicide or attempted. Um, because generally women, particularly in certain communities, do not feel comfortable calling the police and engaging the criminal justice system. So my thought process was, well, what can I do to teach you that if you don't want to call the police for help, that there are things that you can do to ensure your safety, or if you're involved in certain types of incidents, fights, domestic situations, that maybe the damage won't be as much because you know how to defend yourself. So I started in the community. It was really kind of, okay, here are some things that you can do other than calling the police if you're not comfortable to protect yourself. What's it like going from a, a police department to entrepreneurship? One is obviously a huge bureaucracy. You're surrounded by people and resources and impediments and, and, and things. And then as an entrepreneur, you have a <laughs> desk and, and a laptop and, and the world is your oyster and no yeah. resources. So, so how, how, was, how, how did you navigate that transition? Wow, well said, Chris, uh, uh, Rick, because it's been, um, it was it was difficult, um, especially when you talk about resources, whether that's human, whether that's financial, it is hard. And I think as entrepreneurs, we know that every day is hard, but you know, um, you do see some points that have some points when you have some growth where you're able to kind of breathe and um, smile and get some sleep. So it was difficult, but what I was able to do was leverage some of my contacts. Of course, I was able to leverage my experience um, and my education. So that made things a little harder. But you go from having, I mean, I led a division where I had hundreds of employees under me um, and, you know, people answering the phone for me to you being it, you being the admin assistant, 
the CEO, the accountant, um, the marketing guru doing it all. But I have a thirst for learning. So I just use it as a learning opportunity to learn everything that I can and then figure out the things that I needed to farm out and, you know, hire somebody to do, for example, like the accounting and what things to keep. And as we grow, um, you know, I'm able to hire more people. And so tell us about Cupid Sting. What are some of the workshops and programs that, 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 that you're working on and who do your clients tend to be? Sure. So Cupid Sting is a women's safety nonprofit. And our programming is really, again, looking at reducing violence against women. So we have an interpersonal violence reduction program. So that consists of our tailored women's self-defense classes. We have workshops on healthy relationships, situational awareness. Again, it's always about that reminder. It's tips. It's tools, it's information on how to be more safe in everything we do. It's always that vein. So I always say how to walk safer, how to live safer, how to work safer. It's all of those reminders. And then we do domestic violence prevention workshops. Generally in the community, we also work with um, corporations that are wanting to learn more, particularly those that have large female staff. And then we also do consultancies with universities, just looking at their sexual violence prevention programmings and just helping them improve things for students on campus. So we work with women and girls primarily, and we have a particular focus on black and brown women. And that is because when you look at the numbers, they generally do not engage one, social supports or the criminal justice system. So what we are trying to do or what we've done is really provide a safe space where women, of course, all women, but particularly black and brown women are comfortable to engage. They're comfortable to come forward, to talk to somebody, to get some information, to get some training. Um, I always say that this space is your space, so you can cry, you can scream, you can yell, you can learn, you can get some information, and hopefully we can help you on your road and your journey to healing. What's the the the, the business plan? How do you, how, what what are, where do where do the finances come from that help support all this work? Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. So we are heavily grant funded, so we go off after a lot of um, grants from the federal government to help run our programming. So our workshops, our classes, any campaigns, um, even some in-person events. And then we rely also on donations. And then um, some of the work, like I, I referenced earlier with say some of the universities, we've done some work with Ryerson and University of Windsor that also feeds into the business. But um, I'm glad you asked me that because you know it's, it's difficult in terms of the funding. I have funded a lot of the work with my personal funds just because particularly during COVID, um, a lot of the grants and the monies that the government had earmarked for certain programs, of course, went to COVID specifically, which was you know, completely understandable. So, um, of course, the classes and the workshops also bring in some revenue, again, so that we can help more women in the community.
But um, like you asked me, how did it, how, how was it going from, you know, working in the department to now being an entrepreneur every day, you know, I'm looking at the landscape in terms of grants and funding and sponsorships to ensure that we can keep our programs running. And I never want to turn any women away that need help. And is there any private sector support or corporations, uh, you know, offering grants or sponsorships? So right now I do not, but it's certainly something I've been um, trying to get. I've approached um, several corporations, you know, asking and requesting sponsorship. Um, We did have um, some funds from TD Bank. Um, and they helped us fund. We had a program called My Community, My Safety. So it was a program that we ran um, in the region of Peel for racialized women. Um, so that was so great and so beneficial to the community. Um, so those are some partnerships that we would love to enter with other corporations. Okay. Corporations, if you're listening, let, let's get on this. Tell me about how um, the programming has changed over time. Um, you know, what have you learned? What what works? What 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 brings the crowd out, and and what doesn't bring the crowd out that you were surprised by? So, when we're talking about violence against women and domestic violence, it's still a touchy subject in twenty twenty two. So language is very, very important. So what I know works that instead of saying, again, for the community, so if I wanted to get some women out for some training, instead of saying a domestic violence workshop, we talk about healthy relationships. We talk about, you know, building connections. We talk about women's safety and community safety. And then, you know, when we have, everyone in the room, we're able to kind of let our guard down and speak to those really deep, hard issues. Um, I'm one of those people that um, I don't really tend to shy away. I think that this is an important topic and that we have to keep talking about it and talking about it and bringing it out in the open in order to reduce numbers. So I just really have to be creative, which I've been, um, whether that's doing a a fun video. So like on Instagram, something that might be entertaining, but you're still getting the message across. So, you know, we do things on TikTok, for example, and, you know, again, hard topic, but it's the way it's packaged. So that is something that I, you know, really learned because in the beginning, I just wanted to talk about DV and stats and it was a little cold, right? So I had to, to, to loosen up and really figure out, um, you know, what will resonate with people. Right. And what's your TikTok handle for those who want to rush? Oh, sure. There? It's Cupid Sting. So C-U-P-I-D-S-S-T-I-N-G at Cupid Sting and you'll find us. Now, on your website, you mentioned that approximately 70% of spousal violence in Canada is never reported to the police. I'm wondering how this affected your thought process and, and the development of, of Cupid Sting and, the, and your programs and workshops. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm very aware of that. I'm very aware of the... Um the view of the police from 
the outside. And again, I have a, a unique perspective given my background, but I, I lead with that, you know? So we know that 70% of incidents are not reported. And we know the reason is fear and embarrassment or culture or the fact that they don't want a heavy handed approach to dealing with partners. So here is an alternative. Here is a safe space. And if you want to talk about the police and how to approach the police, we can help you with that. But you do what you're comfortable doing in the space you're at right now. So it's something that we're, again, really aware of. And we talk to women about because, um, again, if 70% is not reported, the number, if that's an official statistic, the number is probably even higher. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you, you mentioned the police and, you know, obviously everyone has a different relationship with the police and it's not always ide as ideal as, as it should be. Um, what have you noticed in terms of working? Have you done any work with the uh, Canadian or, or specifically Toronto police? Um, have you seen anything differently, everything they do differently from what you saw in Washington? Are you talking with them? Are they talking with you? So um, I have not done any work with any of the departments here. I'm happy to, so we can <laughs> say that too. When I first came back two years ago, right before the, the pandemic, I um, did reach out to several of the agencies um, just to kind of offer my services, especially um, after George Floyd was killed. Um, but, you know, was never able to, you know, make, make any bridges or relationships there. But what I will tell you with what I'm seeing from the outside um, is those agencies, so I can use Peel as an example, they have a domestic violence um, unit. So they have officers and staff that that's all they do. So they're intimately familiar with the characteristics of domestic violence and um, the impacts on certain communities in Peel. I believe Toronto has one as well. Um, I think Montreal and Ottawa um, have, agent, uh, have those um, units as well. So in my opinion, those departments do a better job, but um, there's always still room for um, training. And one of the issues that always tends to be an issue is, is diversity, right? Making sure that those units reflect the communities that they are policing. Because again, one of the issues is Let's suppose we have um, a community where it's a racialized woman that's an immigrant and she calls the police and they send a white male officer. You know, he's not going to get much out of her. She might just say that it was a mistake, again, because of that cultural barrier. So just being in tune with that is very important. And again, those agencies that readily admit that we don't have all the answers. We know that there are, we have some challenges and work with us. Those are the agencies that are going to do better 
than the ones that think they know everything. Wow. And of course, the numbers say that racialized women are more likely to experience domestic violence. They mm-hmm. are less likely mm-hmm. to report it. So it's obviously mm-hmm. a problem. Do, do you see that the, anything's changing? I know that, you know, you've only yeah. been doing this for a couple of years. It's, it's a huge problem that no one else has solved. Yeah. Why should you? But uh, mm-hmm. what do you see happening now? Yeah, I don't see that um, changing anytime soon because culture is at the root of that, right? And when we talk about culture, we're talking about, you know, something so deeply embedded, like hundreds and hundreds of years old, generations and generations. So I know I don't see that changing. What I do see changing is that the younger generation, and I know I, I, I'm not just plugging TikTok all the time, but what you'll see on TikTok is the younger generation will get on and do videos about abuse, whether it's emotional, physical, verbal, financial, and they're going to have these conversations because they have realized that they are the generation to kind of break that cycle. And then they will have some influence on their moms and their grandmas that, you know, at the very least, you know, if they're being abused, you know, leave him. Um, We don't want to see you like this. We want you to be alive. So once those conversations start happening more and more and more, and they creep into pop culture, which we're seeing, and um, media, once those conversations become part of the norm, then you're going to see racialized women more comfortable coming forward, again, to engage social supports, and then the criminal justice system. So it's going to take some time, but at Cupid Sting, we're all about changing the narrative. And we do that by talking and talking and educating and bringing about awareness. And I'm wondering, you, you've mentioned TikTok twice now. You haven't mentioned Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Um, so I'm <clears throat> wondering for any of us who are trying to figure out where are the serious conversations happening? Where where can one get some some traction? What is it about TikTok that you think allows people to have these important conversations that aren't happening elsewhere? Um, So I'll say this. So uh, we are heavily involved on social media. So uh, Instagram, Facebook, all of them. But TikTok, because it's the newest and it's the most popular. And TikTok isn't like um, some some of the other social media platforms like Instagram, for example, which the algorithm just, you know, keeps changing and you can't keep up. Um, On TikTok, you don't have to have, it doesn't have to be perfect. Your video doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. Um, What you'll see is a lot of people, they're like in bed (laughs) talking about whatever issue and, you know, it'll get hundreds of thousands of views. And I think that's why um, it is the most popular now um, that you can, you know, talk about anything, of course, within reason um, in terms of, you know, no, not being like racist or harmful. Um, and it doesn't have to be so serious in terms of like the perfect lighting and, you know, the best outfit and makeup. And again, just because it's new, and it's fast. Um, that's that's why it's like a great place, you know, to talk about your business or an an issue. 
Um, Instagram's great too. They're all great. It's just a matter of like who your market is. I mean, Facebook tends to skew older. We use it, but not as much as we use Instagram and TikTok. Does TikTok help you get people out to, you know, live workshops? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we will use it for our advertising. Um, I'll upload videos just showing um, a self-defense move or some kind of safety tip. And people seem to really like that. And then, um, of course, you can drive them to, you know, say like the Eventbrite or the website if people want to get more information. So, yeah, it does really help. Fantastic. Um, are there any other partnerships or collaborations that you've done or you'd like to do with other organizations that are combating domestic violence and uh, sort of in your space? Who, who have you worked with or would you like to work with? So um, what I have a great partnership right, right now with a gym called Quick Fitness. And they have graciously allowed us to use their space to teach our self-defense classes. Um, what I am really trying to do is get a partnership with a company such as Everlast that uses and, and you know, creates like they have boxing equipment, um, you know, boxing gloves, um, just to kind of show their support for combating safety and stamping out safety in the community. So I would love to work with um, an organization like Everlast. Um, Shoppers Drug Mart is also an organization that um, because, you know, they're heavily focused on women and women's issue. I know they do a little bit of work around domestic violence. Um, so that would be another organization. Um, but again, it's it's been hard. It's been challenging. So again, if anybody's listening and um, they would like to align with us, uh, please do. We have a great support in um, the Branson City Council. Council, um, particularly, uh, there's a counselor named Rowena Santos has been who's been very supportive of our programming because she really believes in helping women in the community. Um, but as I said, you know, as an entrepreneur, kind of doing most everything by myself, it's been a challenge. So um, if you have some tips, Rick, please let me know. <laughs> well, I think one of the most important things that you can do is keep naming the people who support you because they deserve a lot of credit. And, you know, keep talking about the groups that you want to meet because I'm not sure if I believe in manifestation, but I know that nothing can happen unless you're obsessed with it and, and with absolutely. making it happen. So, uh, so, so absolutely uh, do that. And for getting a hold of, you know, people who are way beyond my station, um, I do use LinkedIn and find out who's a friend of a friend. Um, that's, the, the, that's been very useful for me as, as a journalist and as an entrepreneur over many years. Um, so, you know, it, it sounds almost too easy, but, <clears throat> excuse me, Sometimes it can work and you can certainly canvas your friends to find out, you know, who knows someone here who's who's done something like this. And I find that, you know, not everyone responds, but you couldn't deal with it if they did. So <laughs> the good people, the ones with the with with, with the best advice yeah. do tend to respond. Absolutely. So it's just important to reach out. Um, entrepreneurs, in my experience, sometimes 
you know, you mentioned we're doing everything alone. And sometimes that creates a little bit of a fortress mentality. Mm. Um, you know, very well, I'll do it myself. <laughs> but that's not what it means, no. right? It means you've got to talk with friends, mm -hmm. expand your circle of friends, get out to the networking events, meet the meet people, uh, you know, read the documents. One of the, one of the things I suggest to people, uh, an amazing resource in Canada is strategy. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe it's strategy.ca. It's strategy magazine, which is a magazine about the advertising industry. It's about brands mm -hmm. and brands are always looking for ways these days to uh, connect to, 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 with, with people to connect with causes to to earn their social right, right. to be in business mm -hmm. and to sell to these communities and uh, strategy has uh, has tons of it you know you can read i think it's unlike most industry media websites it, it's still free right and you can read about all the brands and all the campaigns that they're doing and uh, and possibly identify potential partners nice. thank you Couple tips there, but hey, I'm supposed to be interviewing you. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, you're in not just in Canada, but you're operating in the U.S. and the mm -hmm. Caribbean. So can you tell me a little bit about what you're doing outside of Canada? Sure, sure. So because we started originally in in the U.S. in in Washington specifically, and COVID, you know, was both a blessing and a curse um, that. We then had to move to a virtual platform, which allowed us to really serve women around the world. So I do do um, a lot of workshops virtually. I'm, I would say about 50% of the women that attend are in, in the U.S. Um, fewer. Wow. Yeah, yeah still still a lot from the US and then um, a split between um, Canada and um, the Caribbean and then I've even had people you know from Africa the continent of Africa you know consume our our, our programming so um, what would be different is um, you know how some of the messaging some of the stats, but what is similar is the issue, right? That this is an issue that impacts us all, not just women, not just women. And I think that's something that I really try to drive home in terms of that this issue has now moved from the home into the community. It has moved from the community into our workplaces. So when I speak to employers, it's that you have a certain sense of responsibility, right? To, to be aware of the issue, number one, and to know what's going on with your employees. I'm not saying to get into anybody's you know, personal business, but if you're seeing some changes in that employee, if they're coming to work with sunglasses on, why is that? Um, a broken arm every six months, every year, whatever the case may be. We need to ask those questions because that can impact the workplace if that person, the abuser, the estranged husband, like the, the example I gave earlier, comes into the workplace and tries to harm her and somebody else gets harmed. Look at the Buffalo Massacre. People are just going to the, to the store. People are just going to, um, to work and they never returned home, right? That violence impacts us all. Are you seeing that? You know, 
are you seeing employers sort of getting the message there? I mean, I can imagine a number of excuses they might make to try to avoid getting involved, but but I certainly see why they should. Yeah, some are, some are, and some large ones like um, uh, I I can only think of like Lever two thousand. I can't remember what the the larger umbrella company is for for that. Um, that company, but that would be Unilever. Unilever. Unilever thank the, you, thank you. Yeah. I know that they have um, done some domestic violence campaigning. It's generally around domestic violence, you know, awareness month. But you know, we'll take it. Um, so I've seen um, some companies, you know, issue statements and take a stand. But I think more needs to be done, even with the government. Um, what we are seeing with with mental health being talked about more, right? With having a positive mental health being talked about a little bit more, you'll see some talk about how domestic violence affects one's mental health and um, the offering of services like an EAP program for employees. So we're seeing some talk and we need to definitely see some more. Interesting. And that suggests a whole new you know, market for you to get to know, which is um, there are so many workplace mm-hmm. advisory companies now that assist with uh, benefits. You know, everyone gets a, a, in big organizations, they get so, <laughs> entrepreneurs. You don't need to listen to this part. People with salaries actually get benefits right? <laughs> and, and, and the benefits have gotten so much yes. better for so many organizations where you're able to choose what you want. And so mental health has become an increasingly mm-hmm. important part of those offerings. Absolutely. So an, another area uh, for of, of potential growth for Cupid Sting, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're working on it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What's your vision two years from now, three, five, whatever time frame you'd like to take? You know, what will Cupid Sting look like? What additional resources will you have? What new programs will you be offering? Right, right. So so I'll tell you about what will stay the same and then um, a little bit about what will look different that, you know, we started with the self-defense and I don't see that ever changing because again, when looking at prevention and teaching these life-saving skills, what will change or will be new or different is that we will um, help many more women, right? Um, my vision is that we will have more resources. I'll be able to hire some full-time um, members to assist with programming, to assist with the teaching. Um, that way we can go into more communities. I really want to help women across Canada. Um, again, particularly looking at those communities that may not get this type of training or attention, you know, whether that is um, indigenous communities up north or in Manitoba, um, whatever that may be. We are also working on some online courses, you know, that are self-paced, again, looking at healthy relationships, anything dealing with prevention and self-defense. while we are, you know, kind of two years um, through the pandemic, we don't know what the fall and the winter is going to bring. And I think people are very comfortable in this virtual environment. So again, when I say I want to meet people where they are, 
we will do hybrid. So if that's in person, if that is online, I just really want to have various touch points so that women can get the information that they need. And then um, I'm really envision working with more universities and corporations. So just the, the talk that we just had about looking at workplace and workplace violence. Um, I really do want to get this curriculum into corporations so we can do some assessments on their safety and security and what does that look like and how can we help have a more productive workforce. So that's, those are some of the ideas that I have right now with Cupid Sting. And the last one you threw in was a bit of a surprise to me, but it makes total sense to actually provide sort of almost a consulting service mm-hmm. yes. to corporations who really want to take ownership of this problem and, you know, for for their own benefit, whether that involves the the, the health, mental and physical of their employees or uh, or or just helping to do the right thing. Mm-hmm by their community. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And have you done any of that yet? Is that so, starting to happen? So we've been, we've started. So um, uh, we've done some work um, with Ryerson looking specifically at safety and security. And then um, we've done some work with University of Windsor looking at sexual violence prevention. And then we are in talks with some other corporations looking at some, you know, safety and security um, as it relates to their employees and having a domestic violence prevention workshop, um, possibly as an offering as part of like their in-service, you know, the ongoing training that you do throughout the year. So we are really, um, you know, putting out feelers. Um, I do want to say, mention really quick when you asked me about partnerships. So Cupid Sting was part of the Ella program at York University and um, the Wosen program at CSI Toronto. So that was really a wonderful place where we were able to meet with a lot of other businesses and, and corporations that are interested in our work. So we are, you know, working those connections and, you know, trying to work with companies and people um, that align with us that are, you know, really interested in you know, making some changes and not just doing the same old thing until something happens really serious. And now you start looking at the problem. So being proactive, again, getting in front of the problem and the issue. Fantastic. Just before we sign out here, I got to ask you, do you have one case study, one success story you can share with us about, you know, Mm -hmm. someone whose life you impacted Mm -hmm. Uh, or or a group uh, that 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 really benefited from your work that you can share with us. Sure, sure. So, um, a lot of women come to me through word of mouth, and I will never forget meeting this woman one day. She came to one of my self defense classes, and a friend brought her, and she just kind of hung back, didn't really want to engage was withdrawn, head down, just, you know, really, when I looked at her, I just saw so much sadness. And so after the class, she talked to me about her current situation, that she's going through a custody battle. 
Um, she has an abusive partner, you know, etc. And she just talked to me. We talked probably for over an hour about what she was going through, through and asked for help. Um, and, you know, really she needed one, a couple of things, um, a sounding board, somebody to believe her because what she kept saying is that she felt like she was crazy, right? People were not believing that this was happening to her because her partner at the time was um, a minor celebrity, I'll call him that. Um, so what we did is that when she called, I would answer. Um, we helped her with her court documents. We did um, some one-on-one -on -one self-defense training. I went to her home and helped with security cameras, um, cutting down shrubbery so that you could see who's outside in case somebody might be hiding. And we worked together for over a year, but I saw her blossom into this confident person that kind of turned a corner and made a decision that she was taking ownership not only of her personal safety and that of her family, but she was taking ownership and control of her life. And through all of this, I mean, honestly, she went from even that, like her skin even looked different. It was brighter, it was glowing. Her, her talk was different, um, just everything. And I would say that that was um, a really huge individual success story here in Canada that based on the training and just the assistance, again, I think sometimes people just need the support, whether that's a word, whether that's a resource, whether that is just um, a listening ear or a shoulder to cry on in a safe, confidential space, it, it makes a world of difference. So I would definitely say that that's something I will never forget. Wow. That's a story. Yeah. Um, let me ask you one more second last question <laughs> sure. then that just comes out of that. Your description of this person after working with you is really interesting. What does a world without domestic violence look like to you? Because it sounds like it's not just a world where something's absent, but it sounds like there's a world where there's a lot more of something else. Absolutely. Um, it's healthy, right? So that um, when you wake up, you're ready to kind of like take on the world and see what's out there. Um, you know, the cliche of like smelling the flowers and like hearing the birds. It's, it's all of that. It's being comfortable in your home. It's the absence of walking on eggshells, right? It's, it's being comfortable. Um, it's being happy. It's being filled with joy in whatever space you occupy, whether that's your home, whether that's out in the community, your neighborhood, whether that's in your workplace. It's feeling good about yourself, good about your community, good about your, your family because somebody's not berating you and belittling you. And, you know, I, it, it's interesting when you asked me that question my, my initial response was going to be like, oh, it's like a man's world, you know, because it seems like you never, ever have to deal with these things. But um, 
I think the word that I would use is, is healthy, healthy. Um, and I love the what what you said about confidence. I mean, a, a, a world where people are feeling healthier, more mm-hmm. confident, more joyful, mm-hmm. that is such a much better world. And the, there's a shift in power. Yes, yes. If a whole generation can feel absolutely. like that. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to talk more about this another day because this is such exciting work you're doing, and I, I, I'm I'm a hundred percent a fan. Oh, uh, so I really wish you the best of luck and everything. I appreciate it. Before we go out, mm-hmm. though, we typically ask if our guest has held back with one more piece of advice or a tip for other entrepreneurs to help them slay the dragons in their market. Sure. Sure. Um, I would say this that it is okay to say no. And I say that because in our zeal to get either more work or to get recognized or to get that grant or get that meeting, um, sometimes you may either compromise and work with people that may not necessarily align with what you're doing just you know so you can like get the job right um and then it becomes stressful so i would say that it's okay to say no to something that either you don't have the time to work on or just doesn't quite align with what you're doing because the next thing that does align with what you're doing is around the corner. And when you say no, you're giving space for that. Beautiful. Thank you so much for that. Uh, it, it, it's okay to say no. That's such a powerful mm-hmm. <laughs> tip on every, every single level. Absolutely. Laurie Samuel is the founder and executive director of Cupid's Sting, based in Toronto, but uh, conquering the world uh, <laughs> virtually, which is very exciting. Laurie, thank you for the, the work you're doing, the change oh, you're making, and, and, and uh, the positive energy you're bringing to things. And I wish you uh, all the best with, 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 with your mission and let us know how Startup Canada can help. Thank you so much, Rick. It was great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence.